he died. And I believe that one of the most beautiful sights in the world is a mother who lets this greater love flow through her to her child, blessing the world with the tenderness of her touch and the tears of her joy. You see, it's the love that Mary gave Jesus as a child. Yes, he's the son of God. But he was loved all the way to the end of his life here. Folks, that is the constant love of a mother. And we see that illustrated in Jesus' life. You know, as I look out at our mothers today... Those of you who are here, I'm, I'm reminded that although there are some things that are constant, some things do change. Some things do change in our lives. I mean, some of you have went from being a mother to a grandmother, or maybe even a great-grandmother. You know, change is not always bad. For others, maybe the hair is a little grayer, the, the teeth are a little looser, the glasses a little thicker. But I'm sure that you probably would want to do without some of those changes. But to every one of you mothers here today, I just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. And thank you for the investment that you've made in each one of our lives. And we're thankful for that. Amen. I have a text today. Uh, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you will turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament, near the front. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now we're going to read verses 4 through 7. When you get there in your Bible, when you say amen. Amen. You know, a pastor really loves to hear pages turning. I know that's kind of hard on your tablet or your smartphone. Beginning in verse 4, God's word says this. It says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign. On your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. Father, we, we hear your word and we ask that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate it in our hearts. Father, that we would obey your words. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in our Bible passage today, life is about to change for the Israelites. They've been wandering in the, the desert for 40 years. They're getting ready to go over into the promised land. And you know, it, it's interesting because Israel's years of wandering in the desert was finally over and things were different and things were about to change. But you think about the new possibilities that they had. I mean, in verse 3 it talks about 
uh, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. They saw new beginnings. They saw something new, some new possibilities. After wandering in the desert for 40 years, events were changing. Those who Moses led in the promised land were different too. It was a completely different generation that started with Moses on that journey. Things were changing. They were a different generation. And I would imagine that Moses was different as well. His hair was probably a, a lot grayer. And through change, Israel was reminded of, of the things that remained constant. But listen, Israel's constants are our constants too. The things that God told them that would never change are the things in our lives that will never change. See, no matter what change we go through or what we experience, there's three things that I want to point out to you this morning that will never change. The first one is that God is one. That the sovereignty of God will never change. He is sovereign over all. That will never change. Doesn't matter how you feel about it. Doesn't matter if you accept it or not. Doesn't matter any of that thing. The sovereignty of God is over all. And it will never change. See in our scripture. Moses is reciting the Shema. A Jewish confession of faith. That, regarding the oneness of God. And he says Shema. Yitzrael, Adonai, Eleheinu, Adonai, Echad. If you didn't understand that, it's Hebrew. And what he's saying, he said, The Lord, listen, O Israel, hear, O Israel. And that word Shema has three different meanings in it. In our word today, we might say, You have to hear. Hear, O Israel. But if you hear what God is saying, you will listen to what God is saying, and you will obey what God is saying. So that word Shema means to hear, to listen, and to obey. See, wouldn't that be a great concept if we could teach our children to hear, to listen, and to obey? I mean, these concepts come from God. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. See, Moses knows that as Israel enters the promised land, they're going to encounter many pagan gods, the little g gods. And they will have many opportunities to worship them. The Shema is a reminder that Yahweh, Yahweh is God. He's the one true God. The singular head and shoulders above them all. That one true God is Yahweh. Amen. And this verse is not refuting the possibilities of other gods. But it's a declaration that God is the sole object of our devotion and our reverence. Not something else. Not someone else. But God. You see, the Shema distinguishes Yahweh from all of the other 
Baals and the astral deities that they're going to encounter. And so Moses is telling them, he's saying, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. He's first and foremost. Not only in position, but he's unified. There is one God, one true God, and his name is Yahweh. Now, conversely, something that is sadly, that also doesn't change is the influence of those little g-gods in our lives. I mean, it's a reality that Jesus warned us about in Matthew. Matthew 6. He said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. But folks, there are other gods that are vying for our time. We might think about the God of recreation. We might think about the God of, of, of comfort. We might think about the God of stuff and things that, that people worship all the time. More and more and more. I mean, good times. Financial security are the gods that others choose to serve. And there are huge numbers of gods with whom we come in contact with every day. The question is whether we will make God the Lord of our life, trusting Him with every aspect of our life. That's what He is telling the Israelites. The Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. That never changes the sovereignty of God. Secondly, I would say this. The need for your personal commitment never changes. <coughs> Excuse me. To Israel, God was not only sovereign, but a deity whose affection inspires devotion to me. And I think this is big, and I don't think that we always get it like, like we should. Because God loves us so much. He loves us so very much. And it's a relationship that's kind of like a family. He wants us. He desires us. And the intimacy expressed in Moses' use of love shows that a relationship of mutual love and respect is between the people of God and God. And Christopher Wright said it this way. He said, The love of God expresses itself in that devoted and single-minded loyalty which issues in wholehearted and obedient service. In other words, that love manifested in us that is given to us by God calls out of us and inspires us to a deep commitment and devotion to God that shows itself in wholehearted service to Him. My love for my wife has caused me to want to build her a deck in the backyard. Out in the sun, using a post hole digger, which I don't think I've ever used. That's a little different than kitchen equipment. <laughs> I'm using saws that will cut your fingers off. All kinds of other things. But it's the love that is deep within me that inspires me to commitment and service. It's the same way with God. 
He loves us and it's because He loved us first. That's what John says in the New Testament. We love Him because He loved us first. See, your commitment to God results in a realization of His love for you. When you're committed to Him, you recognize that He loves you. And so often our, our commitment grows pale. What I mean by that is an unattended fire will soon end up in ashes. You have to stoke the fire. You have to put new wood on it if you want to keep it going. You know, that's an amazing thing because sometimes we let the fire go out. I was reminded, I read recently about a businessman and a minister who were traveling on a plane together. They were, they were going through this terrible storm and the minister overheard him praying and he was calling out to the Lord and he said, Lord, if you are willing to, to get me safely through this, I will give you half of everything I own. Later, the plane landed safely and the minister, you know, was encouraging the man to fulfill his promise that he made to the Lord. The man replied, Preacher, I made the Lord an even better deal. He said, I told him that if he ever caught me on a plane again, I'd give him everything I owe. See, so our commitments to God sometimes resemble that, uh, you know, like a game show, like let's make a deal. What kind of deal can I make with God today? And what I'm saying to you is that's no deal at all. You are rationalizing in your own mind how you choose to serve God rather than loving Him unconditionally with your heart. Because if we love Him, we will serve Him. If we love Him, we will obey Him. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is the one. See, Jesus even agreed with Moses later on that devotion and commitment require your all. How do you say it in Mark 12? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Same thing Moses is saying here. So we see that the sovereignty of God never changes. But also, our need for our own personal commitment to Him never changes. But also, the need for godly parents and Christian homes never changes. I mean, preparing Israel for the coming changes, Moses talks about the family. You need to listen to what I'm saying. Because he talks about the family. And parents are to know God. As a parent, you are to know God. Not to just know about God. You're to have a relationship with Him. Because you will only take and you will only share with others how deep you've been yourself. And if you desire your children to know God, then you need to know God. Because, because it is your responsibility to teach them and to guide them in the things of God. His instructions, His laws. Notice verse 6. Moses says, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. 
See, that part is the parent's responsibility to know God, to know His instructions, to know His commands. But frankly, most parents, I want to say many parents, are functionally illiterate when it comes to the Word of God. They might say, well, the good book says, but they don't know God. And they're not quoting scripture. Most of the time, it's some kind of uh, folksy, um, you know, wives' tale type thing that they're passing on. But it's the parent's responsibility to instruct their children in the ways of the Lord. It's the parent's responsibility to have a relationship with the Lord. So that you can teach your children what that looks like and show them that. Is it any wonder that our children are growing up without any moral direction or guidance? See, I would submit to you this morning that the biggest threat to our young people today is not their sexual identity or orientation. It's not drug addiction. It's not violence. The greatest threat to our young people today is their lack of knowledge of God's Word. They don't understand God's Word. They don't read God's Word because they've not been taught to read God's Word. See, the result is we have this result today because we have parents who do not know God. They're merely going through the motion. They're checking boxes when they ought to be building a relationship. Parents, mom, dad, you're responsible. God lays that responsibility squarely at the parents' feet. You're not only responsible for being godly people, you're also responsible for teaching your children what you know about God. See, it's not the church's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility to indoctrinate your children about who God is. It's not Casey's job as our children's minister to teach your children about God. Parent, it's your job to do that. The church supports the family. It's your job to teach them. I would say parents who drop their children off for a weekly dose of religion, they're being irresponsible. Because they need to be participating in their child's development. We're not a daycare center. We're not a place where you just drop your kids off and we teach them all about God. No, they need it modeled at home. You need to be the ones to lead them in that. You know, as I... As I look out, I, I understand that many of you are grandparents, maybe great-grandparents. But in this season of life, it's not a time of limitation of your influence or your responsibility to be a godly parent. Even as a grandparent, you have the responsibility to set that example before your children and grandchildren. 
You know, my father-in-law, Bob Fox, he sent me a quote last month and it really stuck with me. I want to share it with you. He said this, he said, we are to set not only a good example, but also the right example. Folks, we need to hear that. Because a lot of times we want to press the easy button. We don't want to do the hard thing. We don't want to do what God is calling us to do for such a time as this. And we want to just make it easy so that we don't offend anyone. But many times we need to understand why we're there and what we're there for. See, notice how verse 7 it says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Your example starts in the home. Your example starts in the home and it follows you wherever you go. I think that's key. Because we have people that want to bring their children to church, but they don't live it out in the home. How confusing is that to a youngster? I mean, you want me to learn this, but you don't live by this. So consequently, they just push it all to the side. They say, never mind. They must be confused. Because they're not doing that. You see, your witness for Christ should be the first thing on your mind when you wake up. It should be the last thing on your mind when you go to sleep. Yeah. Your witness for Christ... And parents, I want to tell you to teach your children how to live. But equally, I would say it's important to teach them how to die. Because we all have that appointment. We all have that appointment before our Maker, our Creator. And we need to teach them what it means. If you want to see them for all eternity, then share Jesus with them. And just as he reached for the weapon, he remembered his mother's last words. 
And convicted by the Holy Spirit, he fell on his knees and he cried out, Oh God of my mother, if there is such a being, I need your help. And if you will give me your help, I will follow you. He said right at that moment, in that very moment, the darkness in his life lit up and peace filled his soul. Later on, we know that Dr. R.A. Torrey, he went on to become an outstanding evangelist. And he led thousands to Jesus Christ. Went on to become the dean, the first dean of Biola University. So parents, are you discouraged because your children or teenagers aren't interested in the things of the Lord? Don't give up hope. Yeah. Keep praying for them. Keep loving them. And living consistently before them. Because you can never underestimate the power of a parent's witness to their children. So on Mother's Day, we celebrate everything that is constant about our mothers. Especially a mother's love. We also celebrate three other things that never change. The sovereignty of God, our commitment to Him, and the needs of God's parents in Christian homes. I'm even reminded of Timothy in the New Testament. I mean, what began in the heart and life of Timothy's grandmother Lois, which she also passed down to her daughter, Eunice, which she also passed down to Timothy. And he was blessed in the experience of faith of both of them lived out before him. See, he possessed that same genuine faith that they had. I think that's beautiful. Although it might have been put to numerous tests on numerous occasions, he possessed all that he needed to endure victoriously. See, I would ask you this morning, if someone has made that kind of investment in your life, living out the gospel before you, then you have been blessed beyond measure. My question is, what are you doing with that investment in your life? The things that your mother, the things that your father poured into you that were good, that were from the Lord, what have you done with that investment? Are you using it for the glory of God? Are you using it in work of the ministry? How are you using that? Are you passing it on to that next generation? Because if you're not, you should be. And that's what the Lord expects us to do. I'm grateful for what God has given me in my family, in my mom, in my dad. I pray that I can pass that on to my children, my grandchildren. Now maybe you're here, and you can't claim a godly heritage. Maybe you didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home. Maybe you had no one in your immediate family who consistently shared their faith or encouraged you in the faith and sought to instill those godly principles in you. 
You may have missed what others have experienced. But what I'm telling you today is all that can change. All of that can change. See, if you're without a Savior, why not respond and call to the call of the gospel and receive Him into your heart and be saved? That way you too could have the blessings of that godly heritage in your legacy. See, many times we just want to discount that. But folks, I am thankful that my mom sat down with me at seven and explained to me how I could know Jesus as my Savior. You know, we act like it's something that we're not supposed to talk about. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says, talk about it when you rise up in the morning. Talk about it when you lay down at night. Talk about it throughout the day, in your home, all, all around. But folks, that's what it takes to live as a godly parent. Recognizing these things and then doing it. Would you pray with me?